Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We are so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we're so grateful that you're a part of our community. Before we get to this weekend's conversation, I wanted to give you a few reminders of things going on in the life of our community. First of all, we've got our new to South Bend City Church table happening in person on February 4th. Now, I've got good news and bad news, so let's start with the bad and end with the good. This specific new to South Bend City Church table is actually at capacity. And you may be asking, why do you set capacities? Well, it's because we want to model it after our tables groups. And in order to do so, we just want to make sure everyone has a chance to talk and a chance to listen and get to know each other. So the bad news is that the registration is closed for February 4th. But if you signed up, make sure to be there at 1215. The good news is that once we are in our new home in the Tribune, we will have opportunities both in person and online for our new to South Bend City Church table. So whether you're local or long distance and consider yourself to be new, there will be opportunities coming up for you in a couple months. Another reminder is that if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home and want to give financially, you can do so by going to the link in the show notes below, southbendcitychurch.com slash give. And there you can give to our general fund, which helps us with our everyday life as we continue to seek to be a place of grace and peace for the city and for the world. So that's everything from the lights staying on to making sure that there's curriculum for our kids and everything in between. If you want to give to the Tribune Project or the CARE Fund or any of our other funds, you can do so by going to that link as well and just selecting the appropriate fund. I can't stress enough how grateful we are for the ways in which you give to this community, both in finances and in time and in energy. Wherever you are in the world and however you show up in our community, we're thankful for you. All right, so we are in week two of our four-week series called See the City. As we prepare to move to the Tribune and pursue our vision of creating a place for the people, we've curated these four weeks of conversations with local leaders and experts about different needs and experiences that shape the people of our city. And so this weekend, we learned from Juan Constantino, executive director of La Casa de Amistad. La Casa is a community center that empowers the Latino and Hispanic community within Michiana by providing educational, cultural, and advocacy services in a welcoming bilingual environment. It was a really beautiful conversation, so let's join the rest of our community now. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason. If we have not met, I'd love to connect with you at some point, uh, but not today, because today we have a, another meeting happening at the Tribune right after this gathering, so I won't see you after this gathering, but another Sunday, I'd love to catch you. Uh, we're honored that you're here. We're going to continue a series of conversations that we began last week. Uh, the context for these conversations is where we find ourselves right now as a church, in our um, soon-to-come transition to the Tribune building. So uh, this is going to be our future home. Uh, this community has already invested really intensely in that project with heart, passion, talent, and finances. Uh, many of you have given in all sorts of different ways to make that happen. But before we made the decision, we discerned it together. And as we sat and considered whether this is our future, one of the very clear things that we heard from so many of, of the members of this community was that if we're going to do this, can we please make sure that it's like for more than South and City Church? Can we make sure that this is a place that matters for the whole city? Can we make sure that it isn't just a place where Sunday mornings have life, but during the week good things are happening, not just for those of us who call South and City Church home, but for anybody who calls South Bend home? Could it be a place for common ground and common good? Uh, from that, we've begun to refer to the Tribune, reaching back to its history when the paper that was printed there called itself a paper for the people, and we've been calling it a place for the people. 
And of course, that's uh, shaped our strategies, our tactics, the building design. Uh, we've been working really hard on partnership conversations, and you'll hear more about the progress there soon. Uh, but I think there's going to be really good news to celebrate about what happens during the week in the building with great partners who serve needs that are right here in our city. But beyond all of that, and perhaps more foundational than programs and tactics and strategies, is whether we're becoming a people for the people. That's been our heart from the beginning. Uh, we've wanted to be the kind of church that takes very seriously love of neighbor that Jesus calls us to and confronts the biases and blind spots that keep us from doing that well. So I love that that's always been with us, but with us being on the eve of a move to the Tribune and recognizing that as we do that, we want to step up and do better on that front. Uh, we've curated four weeks of conversations to help us uh, love and see our city better. Uh, last week, before we got into it, I also turned to a parable that most of you have heard many times, uh, where a man is in conversation with Jesus asking about the nature of love and what it demands from us in our love for neighbor. And that person's asking Jesus, well, who am I supposed to love? And you know the story, right, of the man who's left beaten by the side of the road, half dead, and three different people pass by. And it's the, per the third person, the Good Samaritan, who actually tends to the needs of this person. And Jesus raises that person up as a hero. But all three characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all see the man by the side of the road. But it raises all sorts of questions about what they saw or why they reacted the way they did. And so we want to um, begin with this very simple act of seeing the people of our city well and seeing them through the lens of love. So these conversations that we've curated uh, are meant to help us do that, learning from expert leaders right here in the city who can represent different experiences and stories that we want to learn more about. Uh, last week, if you didn't catch it, hit the podcast. We were really thankful to have Carl Hetler speaking to us about those experiencing homelessness in the city of South Bend. Uh, Carl is both a member of South Bend City Church, uh, been a pastor in the area for years, and he also is running point for the city of South Bend on issues related to homelessness. That was last week. Uh, this week, I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Uh, we get to hear from the executive director of La Casa de Amistad. He's a friend of South Bend City Church. Please welcome Juan Constantino. Hey, Juan, welcome to the Sacred Rug. Thank you. <laughs> this is not your first time on the Sacred Rug. It is not. Um, also did the Studebaker Talks That's here right. a couple of years ago yeah. and a couple of other events. So. That's right. Well, thanks for coming back and giving us more of your time. My pleasure. Um, so like I mentioned, you're the executive director of La Casa de Amistad. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Uh, you might remember that our Christmas offering, like just a few weeks ago, wrapped up. And uh, one of the causes that we're giving to is some of the work happening with, with immigration legal aid there. Again, you'll hear more about that in a bit. But before we get to the work of La Casa, we want to get to know you a little bit, because your story is deeply intertwined with the work. Um, tell us like, how you came to the U.S. and how that story shapes the work that you do today. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be here with each and every one of you in the congregation here. My full name is Juan de Dios Constantino Lara, and I was born in Ciudad Madero, Tamaulipas, in Mexico. Uh, in, our, in our home, we lived with our grandparents, my parents, my older brother, and I. The floor of the house was concrete. The shower was outside uh, with the bucket of water. Um, and my mother was only able to go to school up until the fourth grade. My father was only given the opportunity to go to school up until the eighth grade. He then picked up the trade of welding and ended up welding. Uh, but ultimately, neither one of my parents had the opportunities that they wished they would have liked to have. And they had two little boys that they each wanted to have all the opportunities in the world. So then the question came, how do we provide that for our kids? And my parents decided that my father would immigrate 
to the United States across the border and work so that uh, our, their kids could achieve their dreams. So my father left Mexico in 1995. He actually came directly to Indiana, particularly Elkhart, to work in the RV industry as a welder. He did that for three years where he would work, send back money, and th although things were going well, um, the key thing there was that my father was gone for three years. His kids were growing, uh, his wife was in another country, and my parents had the discussion of, we've got one of two options here. One, you come back home and we're a family again. Or two, we immigrate to the US. My mother didn't want us to go back. Words. So she said, you know what, send money over and we'll make the trip across the border and come to the US. So my mother, my older brother and I, along with another family, made the trip across the border with other families that were picked up and then we landed in Brownsville, Texas, where my uncle, my mom's brother and father picked us up at a mile marker. We went straight to Indiana, lived in Elkhart for a very short amount of time and very quickly moved to South Bend. Uh, with many struggles as my parents had, um, uh, personal with their relationships and, and just coming back to what is now a new world of them being together, they ended up splitting. But within that split, my father left the country. When my father left the country, my mom undocumented, no English, no driver's license, let alone knowing how to drive, had now three boys and had to make a decision once again. Do I stay in the US? Or do I go back home? She decided to stay in the country because she wanted to make sure that if any one of her kids wanted to be a doctor, an engineer, a teacher, just fulfill that American dream that they could. And so she stayed. People have often asked me, when did you know you were undocumented? The reality is we've always known, particularly going to elementary school. You know, when you go to school, there's the crosswalks and the lights and many times the folks volunteering are officers, which is okay. The thing is, every time my mother would see an officer, she would yell at us, sit back, don't move, or your seatbelt's on, out of fear, every single morning. Because if she got pulled over, no license, the kids in the back, no English in any way to defend herself, she could be arrested. And then what happens to those kids? We always grew up here in the area, and then as we approached our schooling, when you got to 7th and 8th grade in the state of Indiana, there's this thing we're supposed to do, known as 21st century scholars. And so we did. We signed up. We were following all the qualifications. My older brother happens to be three years older than I. I'm a freshman in high school. He's a senior. He, as he was told to do, went through the application of 21st century scholars to claim the scholarship, and as he was approaching the moment to claim it, they asked him for a few numbers. And it was his social security. He didn't have one. So my brother didn't get to use his 21st century scholars, but what he did do was he enrolled at IUSB. That same year in 2009, there was a house bill in the state of Indiana put into place where undocumented immigrants would be charged the same rate as international students, regardless of how long you live in the state of Indiana. So his tuition went from $5,280 to almost tripling. Dropped out of IUSB, went to Ivy Tech. I also knew that in three years, I would be next. 
Well, when I was at uh, St. Joe High, one of my Spanish teachers pulled me aside. He knew our family situation, my status. And he goes, Juan, how's it going with the college application? And I'm like, oh, good. You're going to apply to Indiana Wesleyan, uh, Purdue, Ball State, and a couple other colleges. Got accepted early. He goes, Juan, that's great. How are you going to pay for that? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll get some loans and some scholarships. He goes, okay, Juan, listen, have you applied to Holy Cross College yet? So this is when St. Joseph High School, Catholic High School here in South Bend, was on Angela in uh, 933 there. Right behind it was a small Catholic college known as Holy Cross College. Still was there. 500 students, St. Joe was 800. I wanted something bigger. Nonetheless, they had a scholarship known as the Juan Diego Scholarship. Two students would get it. There's all these qualifications, but particularly two students that are undocumented, that they would fund them for four years. Um, so I, I go to the college, I get accepted, um, and ultimately end up getting the scholarship in 2012, so I know I'm going to go to college. That same year in 2012, the presidential administration at the time put forth the program known as DACA. It's a D-A-C-A, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Childhood Arrivals, you came at an, at an age as a child, and the, the Deferred Action stands for Deferred Action of Deportation or removal proceedings. But what the program does is it gives you an authorization to work in the US. It gives you a social security number. And uh, in, in reality, it gives me a license. And when I graduate with my degree and ability to work and to just be a person here in the States, I qualify for DACA. I was at Holy Cross College. I'm going to college in my mind, business major, Corporate America, gonna make a ton of money. It's gonna be good. Sophomore year, I end up dropping my business major and picked up a theology major with a social justice and peace track. Within that major, I got a little more involved in the community and my, my volunteer hours, I end up uh, volunteering in the uh, development department of Holy Cross College. Within that department, uh, a friend of mine who was also interning there, her name is Hasmin happened to work at a place known as La Casa de Amistad. She goes, Juan, La Casa's growing for the first time. In a long time, this is 2016, got a full-time position, programming assistant, you ought to apply, I think you'd be good for it. Meanwhile, my senior year, I'm looking at a job at the University of Missouri. One has got a pretty good salary, and the other one pays me about 12 bucks an hour. Um, I wonder which was which. <laughs> We went uh, with the job at La Casa de Amistad, of which, may I say, my mom was not happy about. Because, interestingly enough, how our parents define success, particularly immigrant parents. You worked so hard. She sacrificed a ton. Someone gave you four free, full years of college, and this is what you chose. For months, she was trying to get me to quit and leave the job. Three months in, my mom sits me down and goes, honey, how's the job going? I'm like, good, you know, we just took the kids to five different university tours. Um, I helped somebody up, uh, attain a couple of jobs. Things are going well. She goes, good. You stay there as long as your heart is still in it. And the moment your heart isn't, you leave. Because when your father walked out on us, that was the food pantry I went to. When you needed to get registered for school, that was the place we went to get connected. And so June 1, 2016 was my first day on the job, and we're knocking on the door of, of eight years for the work at the center. Um, but it's also not just the job, uh, but who I am as a person. It's so helpful to hear the story. I think um, for a lot of us, I suspect that, uh, like we've heard about DACA recipients, 
We've heard about undocumented people. We, I don't know how many of us have actually like sat across and heard the story of somebody who's had that experience. And I know when I hear it, something shifts for me because I put myself in your mom's shoes or your dad's shoes and think about like what parent wouldn't do whatever you can do to give your kids what they need, to fight for something better for them. That seems so relatable and human and universal, um, independent of and underneath all these labels and categories and policy questions, right? Um, so thank you for sharing that. I also know that uh, we're living in a moment in the United States where uh, immigration issues are pretty heated politically. Don't know if you knew that. Um, and I'm not here to wade too far into matters of policy, but I did ask Juan if I could interject for a moment and talk to my people. Um, because of the moment that we're living in, and I think this is really important. Um, a lot of the rhetoric around policy and what kind of country we want to be right now and how we want to use our power right now, a lot of that rhetoric comes from people who are also really loud about their Christian identity or about their desire for a biblical worldview. And I, I just want to observe something because if I don't, this is like malpractice on my part because I have a job to do. And like woven through scripture, one of the mega concerns for God and God's people is in general, how the vulnerable experience, how we use our power. And quite specifically, some categories of vulnerability. And one of those that's woven through all of scripture is the experience of the immigrant or sometimes the scripture will say the foreigner among you or depending on the translation, the alien among you. But this is referring to people who have stories like the one that we've just heard. So let me just give you a little smattering of scripture. This is my little five minute sermon in the middle of this conversation with Juan. If you go back, for example, to the book of Leviticus, this is in the law given to God's people where we read, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt. And then just to punch it, just to drive it home, I'm the Lord your God, in case you're wondering who's giving you this order, right? Or fast forward to Deuteronomy, a kind of restatement of the law. We read, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Or fast forward to the prophet Jeremiah. Here Jeremiah is speaking in Jerusalem to God's people, trying to shake them, trying to warn them, trying to say like, you all have lost the plot. And you think that you're safe and secure because you're God's people in the land that God's called you to and you have the temple and you have God's presence. But Jeremiah warns the people and says, don't trust that too much if you lose what matters to God. And this is how Jeremiah speaks. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates. This is referring to the temple gates in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like, don't comfort yourself thinking that that's enough to be okay, right? The prophet goes on. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place and the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. So let me say this as clearly as possible. There are very meaningful and substantive debates that we can have about the right kind of policy around immigration. However, if you want to claim like a biblical worldview, if you want to call yourself Christian, you don't get to use language that dehumanizes immigrants, and your starting point has to be some kind of deep concern 
for the vulnerable experience the immigrant people have. Again, I know that doesn't answer all the policy questions. And I'm not saying everybody in the States has to go there, but you don't get to call yourself biblical or Christian and then fly in the face of this thread that's woven through Scripture that calls us to show concern for these people and the stories that they're living through. Sermon over. Back to you, Juan. Um, Amen. So now you're the executive director of La Casa. You, uh, you rose through the ranks quite quickly, sir. Uh, now you're running the place. Hopefully you're making a little more than 12, 15 an hour. Um, tell us more about La Casa de Amistad. What is La Casa? What do you do? Yeah, La Casa de Amistad has actually been around now since 1973. We just celebrated 50 years wow. in existence. The organization actually translates to the House of Friendship. La Casa de Amistad is a youth and community center whose mission is to empower and support our Latino, Hispanic, and immigrant community throughout the entire region with a number of different programs. We really operate on four different pillars. We have educational programming um, for our youngest of children from three to five years old in the preschool and into bilingual preschool. We've got kindergarten through 12th grade, after school tutoring, as well as summer camps. And then we also have adult education. English classes for adults, computer skills courses, level one, level two, in partnership with our library, a citizenship class, uh, one that's in Spanish if you qualify, the other one that's in English. Uh, and that class is for our community that qualifies for citizenship and is on the, the path for naturalization. Um, since its uh, founding of the class about 15 years ago, 1,100, a little over 1,100 individuals have been sworn in U.S. citizens. Wow, that's amazing. Here in our community. Yeah. yeah. The organization also has social services at the hub of really what it does. So anyone who comes to the center, uh, whether it be interpretation services, translation of documents, uh, maybe I have a stack of mail that I don't know what it is, they can come to the center or just need help navigating anything at all. Maybe they just got here, here as in the city or the states, that that's a hub or utility assistance, rental assistance, connections to other partners, that that social service hub uh, is truly the, the hub and spoke of the whole center. Then we have advocacy programming. Uh, most notably our South Bend ID program, which we have in three other cities as well. Uh, but that program allows folks who may otherwise not have access to get their state ID or state driver's license. And so what that does is, uh, you know, if you're maybe recently out of incarceration, homeless or undocumented, this identification card allows you to interact with city agencies, i.e. your police, your fire, your schools, a food bank, maybe you go to the clinic or the hospital. So it's relatively limited, but you don't realize how often you need that identification card unless you don't have one. The other one is words are important in another advocacy program and campaign that we ran is our No Human Being is Legal campaign so that we humanize individuals and not criminalize folks that are undocumented here in our community. And the last pillar we operate on is our legal printer, p- pillar. Uh, we have a program with volunteer pro bono attorneys who provide 30 minutes of pro bono legal consultation around any type of law, civil, criminal, of, of any kind. Um, and we have interpreters available for that. And then we have our immigration legal clinic. That immigration legal clinic provides access to applications such as residency applications, DACA renewals, applications for, for citizenship, and so, and so forth. And most recently, um, we were uh, awarded a grant last year, and so we're working to look for a full-time barred immigration attorney that will be on staff, and that'll be funded for three years. So continue to provide immigration legal access for our communities. But uh, in, in a l- couple of minutes, that's a little bit of what Lacasa A little bit does. of what you do. Yeah, just a little bit. A little bit going on there. Uh, quick side note, back to the Christmas offering, specifically the legal immigration aid. It, 
immigration legal aid. Uh, that's where uh, our money is going to La Casa this year. So thanks again for all you who are able to give to that. Um, as you talk about the work of La Casa, you've explained to me that there's sort of overlapping constituencies that you serve. I've heard you say Latino, Hispanic, and immigrant. Educate us up a little bit, because those overlap, but they're distinct uh, groups of people that you serve. Talk to us about that. Yeah, re really happy to bring this up. So we, when we talk about supporting our community, empowering our community, we talk about our Latino, Hispanic, and immigrant community. Let's start at the top. You can be Latino and not speak Spanish, therefore you're not Hispanic, and not be an immigrant. You can be Latino, speak Spanish, and not be an immigrant. You can be Latino, speak Spanish, and be an immigrant. You can be an immigrant and not be Latino. And so I bring that up only to highlight the diversity of our community and how complex it is, even within the conversation of the Latino community to the conversation of the immigrant community, and that not all immigrants are Latino. Because many times when we talk about immigration, we focus on the Latino community. And when we reference the Latino community many times, we focus on the Mexican immigrant community. Yeah, I'll go a little further into that for us, but a quick uh, educational note as well. You and I were talking about this. Uh, you might have heard um, there's been an emergence of the language of Latinx uh, as opposed to or alongside Latino and Latina. And I was like, Juan, can you educate me? I need to like learn about this a little bit. What did you tell me? Tell us. Yeah, so the, the word is emerging of, of Latinx. Folks use uh, Latino, but the, the term Latinx or Latin E with an E at the end is referencing um, folks how, and how they identify within uh, their, their gender identity. So in particular, providing an all-inclusive term for our LGBTQ plus uh, community. Uh, in, in general, um, in broad strokes, folks primarily still use uh, Latino, but also words matter in the context that you're in. So in the same way that we ask or may not understand people's pronouns with he, she, they, them, um, you may not know Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine could be an appropriate term. Thank you for that. Um, and then under immigrant, let's hang there because there's immigration, there's refugees, there's asylum seekers. Again, there's some nuance to all of that. Can you unpack that for a, a bit and with specific regard to like who's here in South Bend? Yeah. So in so we've got two resettlement agencies here in the in the region. One is United Religious Communities and the other is Catholic Charities here in town. In December of 2021, there were 65 individuals from Afghanistan that were going to seek asylum here in, in South Bend particularly and in the US. But folks were still um, seeking asylum, therefore had to make their case to be granted asylum and be given that status. Then we have our refugees who then have been given that status of refugee and then are going through a formal process within the Office of Refugee Resettlement and Resettlement Agencies. So there's a different uh, pipeline and, and support system for our refugee community there. Yeah, also a quick other side note for the South Bend City Church family, uh, which is that uh, for a little while now, we've been interactive with uh, URC and the Neighbor to Neighbor, which has partnered with the URC uh, to provide some um, belonging and material support to families that are showing up. And there's a fresh invitation for you all right now to be a part of that. Uh, if you don't know about the South Bend City Church Collective, it's a group on Facebook. We invite you all to join it. It's in addition to our main Facebook page. The group's purpose is to let members of our community interact with one another around like the good work that you're doing, uh, the invitation that you might have for other members of the community to be a part of it. And if you go to the South Bend City Church Collective right now, you'll see a fresh post letting you know about the chance that we have 
to show up in a really material way for uh, new refugee families. Uh, that can include like material needs that are listed there. A note on that, if you want to provide something physical, tangible material, new or nearly new. Amen? Uh, this is not a chance to like clean out the hand-me-downs that have been collecting dust in the basement and the couch with holes in it. That doesn't help. Uh, but if you've got new or nearly new that you want to donate based on what's being asked for, that's really helpful. Uh, direct financial support as well. You can give to the South and City Church Refugee Fund. All of those dollars are protected and they're directed directly to meeting some of those needs. So check that out uh, on the collective. That's one way that you can show up on that front. But you all are in there every day doing that kind of work. Um, Back to South Bend, though, another thing that was educational for me when you and I were talking before Christmas, uh, as we think about the city of South Bend, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that I love the SBCC, I think, incrementally continues to look more like the entirety of our city, little by little, and yet, if you look around this room today, and then if you know the entirety of our city, it's just a fact that SBCC doesn't look entirely like our city. Um, and so as we grow and learn and become um, a place for the people, it's good for us to become more aware of the entirety of our city and everybody who calls our city home. Uh, it's interesting to talk about um, the proportion of South Bend that's made up of Latino or, uh, you can help me with the Latino and Hispanic community, I suppose, right? Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll, I'll dive uh, a little deeper. So uh, 1980 census data, the Latino Hispanic population was 3%. 2010 census data, we were right around 13% in the city of South Bend. 2020 census data, that Latino-Hispanic population grew by 35%. The city of South Bend as a whole grew its population for the first time in 50 years, according to census data in 2020. Way, some of y'all like celebrated that, right? That was like a big turning point. People were like, yeah, we turned it around, barely, like 100 people. Uh, <laughs> but, but the population grew for the first yeah. time in a long time. So yeah. first tell us time, about that. First time in 50 years. It was about overall population, 2.3 percentage points. The Latino population grew more than four percentage points. And so as we look at where that growth was, our Latino Hispanic population went up, grew by 35%, four percentage points. Our black community stayed stagnant, it stayed right where it was, and our white counterpart went down. And we believe that the recorded number of people was an undercount, particularly for the Latino Hispanic community who fears being recorded and accounted for within the census. Uh, so if you're excited about growth in South Bend, thank an immigrant. <laughs> Um, this, is, this is helpful perspective, right? As we just try to understand, like, who is our city? How do we see well, love well, understand the stories that shape all these things? Uh, some of our members here might be interested in, like, showing up and helping with La Casa. Uh, what are the easy ways, the helpful ways to get involved with the work that's happening there? A number of different ways. So as we mentioned, the pillars of La Casa de Amistad, from the educational pillars and the programs that are within them. So depending on what interests you, whether it may be a preschool Maybe it's K to 12, or possibly helping someone practice and be prepared for the naturalization exam as they prepare for citizenship. Another way to get involved and get engaged is I invite all of you and encourage you, if you live in the city of South Bend, to obtain a South Bend ID card, um, because the more we normalize the identification card, the more welcoming that, that it becomes. And on that same note, above and beyond you know, signing up for volunteering, you can visit our website, lacasamistad.org slash volunteer, and sign up. But above and beyond that, I ask all of you to simply provide welcome to your neighbor, to your colleague, because you may not know what they're going through and if and who they are, what their status is. And not necessarily that that's our business, but that it is our job 
to always provide welcome and simply be kind so that folks know that they belong here in our city and to continue to, to be present because right now you're, you're, you're informing yourselves, which is you listening. You listening provides you with the perspective. That perspective informs you with the actions you will take and then the actions that you take ultimately have a ripple effect. Where you spend your time, where you invest your money, and how you vote. That's really good. I also, you know, in, in the sort of complicated landscape of the moment that we're living in today, I don't know if you all feel this, but the more time that I spend just reading like national news, um, some of that's really good and important, right? I think we want to be well informed. But I, I'm learning in my own spirit, if the ratio between just like doom scrolling national news on the one hand, and then the ways I actually relate to my actual neighbors in the here and now, right here, if that ratio gets too far out of whack, where it's all the time just sort of like meditating in the worst sense on a lot of like really hard reporting and very little like direct on the ground relational connection right here, I lose a lot of hope. I start to feel more helpless. Um, and that's not actually true. Like so much of our power and our contribution is right here, right? And so I love that what you all are doing is already there and we get to show up and help with that. Uh, our staff team, uh, we had like a day-long strategy meeting not long ago, and La Casa was kind enough to host us in one of their meeting rooms, beautiful facility. So not only did we have a good meeting day, uh, but our team got to meet more of the team at La Casa and tour the facility. It's a beautiful place, uh, it's a hopeful place, and it's right there ready for you all to jump in if you wanna be a part of it. So like Juan said, go to the website, lacasadaamistad.org. Yep. And uh, slash volunteer. Slash volunteer. Yeah, nice. And that's there for you. Uh, another little note. Uh, Juan brought some pins and stickers uh, that are right out there. If you want to, like, sport some swag for La Casa, grab one of those. Uh, you'll also see from back in December, we told the story of Be the Change uh, about gun violence here and uh, a woman who's um, doing something creative with that. You'll also see there's some remainder keychains and uh, bracelets if you want to grab one of those as well. Um, but I want to bring it back uh, to the story that you've told, Juan, to kind of wrap this up. Because um, to me, this kind of brings it home. Um, you talk about being five when you come here. And um, the awareness that you have early on, you're in the car, your mom trying to protect you all, makes it really clear to you that there's something kind of unsafe, perhaps, or um, that maybe you don't belong here in the same way that I get to belong here, or at least not to experience that. Uh, I'm wondering, like, are there a couple of people, experiences, memories, or moments when that began to turn for you? Like, how and when did you realize that you belong here too? Yeah, experience and moments, but not particularly to me, uh, but experience and moments where people welcomed my mother because she's the one who shepherded the family. From, you know, having access to a pantry and getting connected to the schools, um, to moments where um, an officer at, um, at my middle school uh, mentored me and then made sure to keep tabs on me, even gave my mother his personal number. He goes, if anything happens, if you get pulled over, if you need help, you call me. And I am still connected to that gentleman today, Officer David Heron. Um, he's a very good friend. Uh, but then even when my mother went to the clinic, at Indiana Health Center on the west side. She ended up becoming really good friends with one of the nurses. Um, and then that nurse's son, Freddie Rodriguez, who some of you may know, he's a muralist here in town, still good friends. But growing up, my mom didn't have much. We didn't have much, 
But uh, her relationship with uh, Albina was how I got kids. So I got all of Freddie's uh, hand-down stories. Uh, and my mom had a friend because ultimately she, she was building community and trying to navigate this world with three boys, undocumented, no English, uh, no status in town. And so it's these moments where people stepped up and they probably had no idea years ago what giving um, my mother some toys did, what maybe just having a phone call did, which is some of the work that some of you do in this room as you help our refugee families. You have no idea how big of an impact that may have down the road and how much that meant to somebody. That's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, thank you for trusting us with your story, uh, bringing that to us. It's a gift that you've shared, and we want to be good stewards of all of that. Uh, Church, I thought it'd be really fitting for us as we wrap this up uh, to pray for Juan and the work of La Casa uh, out of gratitude and hope that they have what they need for the good work that they're doing before I give us a benediction. So if you're able, will you stand to your feet? Uh, loving God, we pray with gratitude uh, for the leadership and the bravery and the creativity of Juan and others who are here leading on the front lines, uh, trying to help South Bend be a place for the people, uh, a place where every kind of person is safe and has what they need. Uh, we thank you for him and the work of La Casa and for our chance to be a part of it. Uh, we pray that he and the others who are on the front lines of that work uh, would sense your own love, presence, and power with them, especially on the days when perhaps it feels like they're fighting an uphill battle. Uh, I pray that uh, frequently, and especially when it matters most, the, the feeling of your presence would come through people like us who show up as well and who use our power and our voice and our energy to come alongside those who need it. Um, so thank you again, God. I pray that you would uh, just raise up within Juan and his team a feeling of joy for the work that they do and the feeling that they're not alone in it. And I pray these things through Christ. We all said amen. And church, uh, may we love the way that we've been called to. May we see the most vulnerable among us. May we use our voice, our strength, our energy, our power to make sure that South Bend is a place where people can flourish. And may we be a people for the people. May grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you soon.